I love the presence of God. Amen. What else would you come to church for? If you can't get that, why, why make the sacrifice? Why make the time? Um, you know, can I just share something with you? Um, sorry, who was running the internet up there. Um, you know, we're in this marriage series, and uh, I think I just need to be honest with you and just say, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I've not figured marriage out yet. I've not gotten to the destination and come back and saying, okay, now follow me, Cole, and I know where I'm going. Um, is there anybody here that's got, you're, you're on your way back from knowing where to go in marriage? Um, I don't. And can I tell you that, that just like, I feel like every sermon series, just, it's just the journey. You know, I, 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 I feel like I study a lot and I cry a lot, you know. I must be around Clint more day, days. I find myself crying a lot. Um, but I, I just know that at the end of the day, when I, when I read God's word and he challenges me, I know that my heart is simply this for you. Is that I want for my marriage, uh, or I want for you what I want for my marriage. And, and, and that is, is that regardless of how good it is, I just know it can be better. I've not reached the fullness of what God had to do in my, in my life. And, and, I, and I know the same thing for you. And so as we study in this sermon series, can I tell you, there's some hard things I don't really want to preach. Like, I really don't want to preach. I don't want to say that, you know. And so let me just ask for some graces this morning. If I say something that, that confuses you in the weeks ahead or maybe tonight or today, um, ask me. Pastor Scott, will you clarify what you said? I have a tendency to talk fast, and so sometimes my ideas get slammed together. Um, the second thing is this. If I, if I offend you, then just know my heart. Just trust where I'm going. Ask the Lord to, to show you clarity. I don't mean to say something to make you angry, upset. I, I don't really care for those things. What I really want to do is kind of spur you on, and sometimes that, that does hurt. That, it, doesn't, it allows us to no longer be comfortable where we're at. But that's just the thing, is that I want your spouse to know a better, a better marriage that you can give. And you can do that. And then really just the, the last thing is, is this, is that if I encourage you, then follow me. Follow me. So either ask me or trust me or follow me. But whatever you do, just respond in the direction that the Holy Spirit is going to lead you. Because when it comes down at the end of the day, who really cares what Pastor Scott has to say? It's what the Holy Spirit is confirming in your heart. And you're going to know what his word says to us. And so as we pour through scripture, can I ask you just to open your heart, allow the word of God to do what the word of God does. Sometimes he uses the scalpel, and sometimes he doesn't. But either way, I want to be, I want my marriage to be better, and I sure want your marriage to be better. Because I know that when people walk through those doors, they're looking for something they, they don't have. And I want to be the testimonies that say, it's here. It's here. So, Father in heaven, I pray this morning. Pray, God, your, your anointing upon me, God. You know I don't have what it takes to communicate, God, the, the depth of your word. 
but I do believe and I do trust that you have it all taken care of. I pray, Lord, that you would steady our minds and still our hearts, God, to hear what your word has to say. And that you help me to articulate, Father, it's, it's power. And most importantly, God, I pray that our marriages and those, God, who are going to be married, I pray that the, the depth of your word and the power of it all, Lord, would, would change us radically. And that you would set us free from the concepts of culture. And we would come back to the blueprint that you have given us and how to live life in the context of marriage. I ask it, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Let's jump in. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. This is the passage when it comes to uh, marriage, which is ironic because um, Ephesians doesn't really talk about marriage in terms of the focus. It's just kind of like a, a little side check, you know, a little, a little stop on the, on the road. And so... Um, but this is where a good bulk of it is. And uh, we will be here again and again and again. So it just would behoove you to go ahead and read through it a few times so you know where I'm at as we go along. So Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 uh, says something like this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Everybody say, see, that's good. All right, good deal. Uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, should love their wives as their own bodies. He, loved, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we were members of his body. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 5. You know, Wednesday nights I've been teaching a class on how to study the Bible. And we've been talking about context. It's important that you understand when you read Scripture, what does it mean in this context? What does it mean in a greater context and a greater context? And so it's hard for us to jump right in and say, well, see yourselves right here to do this. That's not really good. In fact, Wednesday night we saw two Scriptures that says, that Judas wouldn't have hung himself, and then the next scripture we read says, now go and do likewise. That's probably what we, not, what we don't want to do. So context is important for us. Um, and so it's the same here with Ephesians 5.22-33, is that we, we need to make sure that we're, we're contextually right when we read what we're reading, and making sure that what our understanding is is fulfilling a greater understanding of what Paul intends for it to be. Uh, and so with all that said, let me just say this, is that Ephesians 5 is is probably the most popular passage in terms of teaching on marriage. But interestingly enough, um, the book of uh, Ephesus is, is about the church. It's not about marriage. It's about the church. The church. And chapter 5 is not about marriage, but it's about how the church is like um, uh, obedient children and how the church is like obedient wives and obedient husbands. And so, 
So really what we're talking about is the church. We're, we're talking about the church. And Paul uses these things for us to understand what the, what the church is supposed to look like. And then he also uses what the, what the church is supposed to look like to communicate what our marriage is supposed to look like. So, so we need to understand that. With that, under, with that said, let me just uh, talk to uh, you, you Bible geeks. I don't know if you're any Bible geeks in here or not, but I'm going to take just a minute and deal with some scripture because I think it's important for us to lay it out. Now, if you're not a details person, you just want the big statement, just hold on for a couple minutes and I'll give you the big statement, okay? Uh, but for those of us who like to get into the grit and the grime of scripture, uh, let me just lay some context out here. So first off, Paul, Paul wrote this book. Um, to the church of Ephesus, and he's trying to communicate to these Gentiles who are far off, right? And the Jews have always been um, the, the promised people. They were, they were guaranteed. They were the body, and, and they, they housed the scriptures, and, and they had the promises of God. And so now Paul is saying, you Gentiles are part of the body now. You guys are part of the church. And so I need you to understand how important you are. And I also need you to understand what the church is like. And so as Paul begins to write, he's trying to introduce these concepts to Gentiles who are anybody, anybody but Jews. He's trying to introduce these concepts of Gentiles to what the church is like. And so he starts off in chapter 1, the church is like a body. It's like a body. And he talks about the creation of the body in verses 1 through 4, verses 15 through 23. He talks about the consecration of the body. And then he moves on to chapter 2. And chapter 2 says the church is like a temple. And so he's drawing these conclusions. He's putting things together. He talks about how the church is built on the foundation of the, of the prophets and the apostles and that how Christ is the cornerstone. And then he goes to chapter 3. He talks about how the church is like a mystery because it is a mystery. Because who knew that Gentiles, anybody but Jews, would ever be, have access to the promises of God and to the word of God and be included into the body of Christ. And so that was, that's a mystery. And Paul talks about that more specifically. Uh, he talks about the time of the mystery, the nature of the mystery, and the reasons for the mystery, but the, the, but the church is like a mystery, and that it is. And then in chapter 4, he talks about how the church is like a new creation. And so he, he explains, he goes, there's a new creation, and there's a responsibility for the new creation. That, that's the church. And he says we're supposed to avoid the old lifestyle as a new creation, and we're supposed to adopt a spiritual lifestyle. And that's a segue into chapter 5. And chapter 5, he says the church is also like obedient children. And people were looking around like, I don't know what that's like. I don't see none around here anywhere. <laughs> and then he said not only is it obedient children, but also husbands that are obedient, wives that are obedient. In fact, he gives in verses 1 through 121, he gives 12 rules of the father's house. If you're a child, to be like, to be like uh, Christ, a child of God, you should observe these rules. And then he says um, the church is also uh, like a marriage. And, and he shows us through the, the passage we just read in 22 through 33. And then he ends up like this. The church is like a soldier. And he talks about there's, a, there's a, a, a boot camp training where he deals with honor and discipline in the context of parenting. And then he talks about serving and treating in the context of servants and masters or employees and employers would be more relevant terms for our days. And then obviously you guys know the famous part of Ephesians 6. And that is where he, he begins to deal with the fighting, the frontline fighting. And he talks about how to exhort the soldier. He talks about the enemy and he talks about the equipment. And so all along, Paul is simply trying to do this. All right, now, all you, all you detailed people or non-detailed people, y'all can clue right back in. And here's, here's the whole point. 
is that marriage belongs in a larger context. It belongs in a larger context. What we're talking about is something far beyond than what you're supposed to do at home. Far beyond. And so when Paul is talking to us, as he speaks to us through 22 through 33, understand that he is dealing with the, the lack of understanding of what the church is supposed to be like. And he, he draws on all these um, uh, metaphors and, and, and similes to say, here's what the church should be like. And so if you're not like this, then you need to change it. But notice this, Paul did not come to address the marriage. He, he's not saying the Lord has come to fix the marriage in this sense. He's trying to say your marriage should look like the church. And if that's not what it is, then you got something to fix down here. You see, a lot of times we think the Lord wants to, to deal with our life compartmentally. I want to fix your marriage. I want to fix your kids. I want to fix your job. I want to fix your finances. That's not how the Lord works. He does not compartmentalize you. Because the common denominator of all those things is you. And if he can change you, if he can address you, then all those things solve themselves. And so here again, he's not trying to deal with your marriage. He's not trying to give you, uh, you know, here's the instructions, here's your prescription. Now take that home and do that and fix the marriage. That's not what it's, that's not going to work that way. It's not going to work that way. I wish it would. And if it would, there would be no difference between a Christian marriage and a secular marriage. But there is a difference between the two. You cannot take the Bible's principles and just apply them to your life and think that you can do them. You cannot. You cannot. The Lord has given us two job descriptions that are impossible without him. He's asked me to love my bride the way that she needs to be loved. I don't know how to do that. He's asked wives to respect their, their, their husbands in everything. That's an impossibility without Christ. And so I want you to see is that God uses the church's relationship to Christ to communicate his purpose for marriage, since marriage really is just a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality. And that spiritual reality is, is the relationship between Christ and the church. Non-believers can't see that, but they can look at your marriage and have an idea of what's it like for Christ to love the church. What's it like for the church to love Christ? Because can I tell you that if your marriage is broke, it's not working, it's not functioning then your testimony to the world is broke and not functioning. And so it's important for us to, to align this right, to get this right. It's not just a, a happy life. That's, that's, that's not really the major goal. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But more importantly, that our marriages speak of the relationship between the bride and the bridegroom, and that is what is most important. So there's three things I want to talk about this morning. It may be a 12 o'clock day. Feel free to leave when you need to, okay? Uh, I'm just letting you know, it's your marriage. It's your marriage. You got to bounce, bounce. You know what I mean? Uh, you do what you got to do, okay? You ain't going to fit me at all. First thing is this. Our marriage should reflect the heart of its designer. It should reflect the heart of its designer. Our marriage is built on God's definition of love not ours. And the third thing is our marriage is meant for more than happiness. So let's start with the first one. Each spouse needs to understand that God is in charge of a marriage and that, that it should reflect his nature. That means his love, his concern, and his radical sacrifice. That's what your marriage 
should reflect. His love, his concern, and his radical sacrifice. That's what you're responsible for. Um, we, you know, we, we deal with these two ideas of really just submission, submission and selflessness. It gets kind of heavy. Um, you know, when you read through here, as, as we see, um, these ideas of submission, you know, if you listen to the world, they're, they didn't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that at all. But right before, right before Paul talks about marriage, in fact, I think it's verse 22, and he says, wives, submit to your, your husbands. The word submit is not even in there in the original text. It's not even there. It just says, wives, to your husbands. Because the conversation is already about submission. We're already in the context of talking about submission. So when he says, we should, as, as Christians, we, we should submit mutually one to another. Wives, to your husbands. And so the conversation that Paul is having is about submission. We see that there very clearly. 5.22-24 says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the Lord, for the Lord is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body as himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything. And that is a heavy statement. That wives, you're supposed to submit in everything. Everything. What about, yeah, everything. You're supposed to submit to your husband. I don't know about you, but if I was a woman, I'd, I'd feel a little undone inside. Like, Pastor, you don't know. You don't know my husband. You don't know. And here's the thing is when we deal with that is that, is that I, I don't know, but there is there is a, a, a specific meaning that Paul is dealing with when he says submission. The word is hypotasso, uh, it's a Greek word, and it really deals with rank, file, organization, and structure. It's really a military term. It's a military term. It's not dealing with this. It's not dealing with your value. It's not dealing with your ability. It's not dealing with, your, it's not dealing with none of that stuff. It's not a qualitative term. It's a, it's a matter of organization and structure and rank and file. How many have been in the military before? You've been in the military? Have you ever served anybody um, that you were smarter in? They were over you. <laughs> you were smarter than them. You, you knew better. They just had rank. That's what it comes down to. You had more ability. They just had rank. That's what it came down to. And this is what, what Paul is talking about here. He says, we're not talking about what you can or cannot do. What we're talking about is this rank. We're talking about hierarchy. And so if you see this word hypotasso, we also see this word used exactly the same way in the story of um, uh, Jesus. When he went to the, the temple, remember he got lost and they looked for him for a couple of days. And, and when they finally found Jesus, they said, where you been, boy? And he said, did you not know I must be in my father's house? Y'all remember that story? And when they found him, it says, the next verse says this. It says, and he went down with them and he came to Nazareth and was Hippotasso to them. Same exact word. Now, now, I thought about that for a second. I thought, this is the same word used to describe Jesus' actions as it is to describe the expectations for the wife. So here's some things that I just kind of realized and just cleared up in my own soul. What, what I realized is that here in this text, the creator is submitting to creation. Do you see that there with me? I also see the very person from which all authority flows has submitted himself to those who have received authority. Do you see that there as well? 
I also see that Jesus did not lose his divinity, his identity, his ability, or his mission in his submission. None of that was obscured. None of that was lost. What was Jesus' mission at the time? What was he supposed to be doing at the time? Well, 52 tells us, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God with man. That was what he was supposed to do at that moment, at that time. So Mary and Joseph's mission was to provide, protect, and nurture Jesus. That was their mission. And Jesus realizes that his mission in life, which was actually a submission of that to Mary and Joseph, was to grow in, in favor and in, uh, with God and man and increase in wisdom and stature and favor. And so, ladies, let me just tell you that you've been entrusted with a divine mission in life. You have a divine mission in life, but it's to be carried out within the larger purpose of your marriage's mission. Your marriage has a mission. Can I ask you, what is your marriage's mission? I don't know what your, marriage, your, your mission is for your marriage. I'm still working on it with, with Julie. What, what is it exactly that our marriage is supposed to accomplish? I have a really good idea, but can I tell you that a lot of times we don't know what we're supposed to accomplish with our marriage because we feel like the goal is happiness, right? Or, or, or if we're honest, the goal is kind of self. Most of the times, we're not going to say that. But at the end of the day, that's kind of what we're hoping for. I got married to be happy. I got married to love and be loved and be accepted. I got married for a lot of reasons that really point back to us. But what is your, what is your, your, your marriage's mission? And can I tell you that most of the time when we, when we have problems and we have distractions, we have problems in our marriage, it's, it's not that we have problems with each other. It's just that, that we, both of us, have somehow got out of the alignment of what our marriage is supposed to be accomplishing. And if we would figure out where we're wrong in terms of our mission... It would, it would help a whole lot easier for us to fix the issue between, between us in the marriage. So let me just realign you and say, where is, your, where is your mission at? It means simply here, as we see in the scripture, that, that you are submissive to your husband. But your submission to your husband, ladies, does not minimize your worth, your identity, or your ability any more than Mary and Joseph minimize Jesus. Can I say that again to make sure you're clear? Your submission to your husband does not minimize your worth, your identity, or your ability any more than Mary and Joseph minimized those very same things for Jesus. And can I tell you that Jesus had none of those things minimized in his life. And the same word that describes his submission is the same word that describes your expectation. There is no loss of value. There is no loss of quality. There is only obedience or disobedience. It's the only thing we're dealing with here. And notice what verse 52 says. In fact, it doesn't even, it doesn't minimize Jesus. It does the opposite. Because verse 52 says that his submission actually allowed him to to grow, to be increased, right? In wisdom and favor and stature. All those things were actually increased. Because he submitted to where he was supposed to admit in terms of how the Lord laid out the family hierarchy. So let me just kick over to the guys for a second. Guys, do you see that in this moment, our responsibility is that, number one, we're in some big shoes. We're in some big shoes because we're actually responsible for enhancing the worth 
of our wives' ability, identity, and, and um, yeah, her worth, identity, and her ability. So that's what our job is. Our job is to come along and see what, who she is and what she can do. And our job is to lay down everything in our life that doesn't help fulfill her mission. Because really fulfilling her mission is really completing the mission that you and I are responsible for because we have the rank and the authority and the headship. And so with that responsibility is to make sure she does everything she's supposed to do so we can answer back to the Lord and say, God, we did everything we're supposed to do in this marriage. Mission accomplished. But if you know anything about military, you know anything about leadership, that the job of leadership is to sacrifice everything that we want. The higher up you go in the, in the ladder of leadership, the more, the more rights you lose. And so as a place of headship, you really lost all your rights. Because your job is to sacrifice everything to make sure that their mission, their submission is accomplished. Are you hearing me this morning? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me just kind of uh, emphasize this even more. Ephesians 5, 26 through 27 says this, that he might sanctify her. This is, this is Christ playing the groom, right? Christ, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holding without blemish, what I see is simply this. I see that, that Christ is making sure that he, he's, however he found her, she's better than how he found her. He sanctifies her. He sets her apart. He makes sure that whatever spot or blemish is in her life, he's making sure that it's better. How does he do that? He's providing for her. He provides the word, the washing for that. He protects her from those things that would threaten her sanctification or her salvation. He comes in and he cultivates and he, he moves her along so that way she becomes better. Her progression is important to him because as it becomes better, it also benefits him as well. Because now he presents her back to himself. Saying, look how my bride is that much better. Guys, can I tell you, it's the simple truth. That as we love our, our, our wives more selflessly, we prosper. We prosper. We absolutely prosper. And I know that's true because I've seen the opposite to be true more times than I can count. You take a man who is selfish and you'll see his wife. Not arrayed in splendor, not submitting in respect. You don't see the apple of his eye anymore when, he, when she walks by. And there is, a, there is a, a degrading of relationship there. And before you know it, they're married, but really they're just separate. And they've lost connection with each other. And so let me just speak to the men. Our job is to sacrifice everything. And you know what? That's not nothing new to us. It's nothing new to us. If someone comes into your house and pulls the gun, you're the first one to die. You know it. And it doesn't bother you. We don't mind dying. We don't even mind dying for our neighbor's wife. Because that's how we were built. That's how we were designed. And so the Lord is, is asking us to do what we actually do more naturally in the physical, but to do it in the emotional and the spiritual. It's to what? To step in front of the bullet. It's to die to ourselves. Because sometimes the greatest threat to our marriage, the greatest threat to our wives are us. 
And so we need to make sure that we understand our position. Can I tell you, there's three things. I'm going to talk more in the coming weeks about what we're supposed to provide, but let me just give you a prelude to what that is. As, as the head of the house, your job is to provide three, at least three, three things. There are more, but I'll capitalize on these three things. Your job is to provide provision. Your job is for protection. And your job is for progression. Your job is to make sure you provide for her and protect her so that way you can help cultivate her and she can make progress in her mission. And if you provide for her and protect her and you cultivate her so that she might progress, you'll see the benefit of that. You'll love that. You'll see there's a reciprocation in that. How do we know we could do this? How do we know we should do this? Because Christ is our example. Colossians 2, 14 through 15 says, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, there was the problem. Jesus came to fix it. All the men say, Amen. That's what we do. We fix problems. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He did whatever he had to do, which meant dying, which meant putting himself last, which meant prioritizing his bride to come first so that she would have everything she needs so that he could be everything he desires, so that she could have everything she needs so that he could have everything he desires. Second thing is this, is our marriage is built on God's definition of love, not ours. And, and, and this is where we're in contention with the world, right? Because every day we wake up, we see a brand new definition of love. Constantly pouring into our, our minds. Marriage won't work unless you first learn how to love your mate, not as, your, uh, not as you define God's love. Um, but how he defines it, and also how your mate is designed to receive it, which creates a whole another set of games to play, you know? God doesn't just teach us how to love the way he has asked us to love it, but he's also teaching us how to love the way that our spouse is designed to receive it. We don't know what love is because our heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. If we do what we want to do, it's not going to benefit him. It's not going to benefit her. But thankfully, the Lord has shown us what true love is. But we have to make sure that the word of God is not in contention of the movies and the books, the social media and the relationships, of the culture and even the laws of our land that redefine love and redefine marriage. We need to make sure that we don't succumb to those things. I have an absolute authority. I have an absolute word from God that tells me what love is. And it says specifically, love is Patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Already we get the hint of it's not about you. It's about him. It's about her. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Wow. But real love, true love, biblical love, love that flows from the Father is a love that forgives when, when the truth comes forward because it rejoices with the truth. I, I just, I just want to stop because I feel like the Lord just saying there's some things that I know some men, maybe even some women need to, need to own up to. 
And can I just say to the spouse, whenever they share their heart with you and they confess with you, I need you to not rejoice at their wrongdoing, but rejoice with their truth. The Lord is saying, don't, don't hold it over their head. Now, finally, I got you. But rejoice with the truth and free them from the captivity of not being able to love you the way they really want to love you. Because sometimes that's what sin does. It just, it captures us. It keeps us from doing the thing we really want to do, but we can't get past the mistake that we made. So we get to that place in life, we, we find a place that we're not trusting our spouse. And we really want to trust our spouse. But we're afraid that there will be no rejoicing when the truth comes out. And finally, Paul says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Simply put, love is a selfless love, and it prioritizes the need of their spouse over their own needs. Love prioritizes the needs of their spouse over their own needs. Let's look at what their needs are. Ephesians 5.33 talks about what our needs are very clearly. Uh, if you've not, let me, just, let me just throw a big tagline out there. There's a book called Love and Respect. I think Tammy and, and uh, Shane are going through it right now. Um, uh, we did a class not too long ago with Tim and Charmaine. It's called Love and Respect. It was a great class. If you've not ever read the book Love and Respect, then, then you've, you're, you can't go to heaven yet, all right? You've got to get that book. <laughs> nope, you ain't coming in. You ain't coming in. St. Valentine won't let you in. <laughs> that was corny. Let's go. All right. <laughs> However, let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Did you notice what it didn't say? <laughs> it didn't say men respect your wives and women love your husbands. Because that's easy to do. Men, we can respect some people, right? I, I don't have to like you. I don't have to love you. But I can respect you. That's not a problem for me. Women, you know how it is. You don't have to respect somebody else. You can love them easily. You can forgive them. Love is easy for you. It's the reason why the Word of God says, women, you need to respect and men, you need to love because those things are not natural for us. They are unnatural for us. Unnatural for us. That's how you know it's from the Lord because he asks you to do the things that you can't do naturally. <laughs> I love the Lord. He's, he's, he, keeps it, he keeps it interesting, you know. So the call here is to do something that you don't nat naturally do. Because honestly, as we know, man, we have a hard time loving. We do, don't we? And, we? and women have a hard time respecting. We can see that all the way back from the garden. And so the real issue that we have here is not with our husbands or our wives. It could be something else. And so let me just give you a, well, let me just say this. That, that the problem that we have here typically is that we want to redefine what love is in our strengths. And so we know we want to love. Guys, right? We don't want to love, but really somehow we try to bend it to where it feels like respect. And women, we, you know you want to love, but somehow you bend respect to somehow it feels like love. Because we're trying to redefine. And that is the problem that we have. Let me give you two possibilities why we struggle with these commands. Not only are they unnatural, but here are the two possibilities why you might struggle with them. First is remember the greater context. We are to live a life that speaks of the, li of the new life in us. We are unable to do what Christ is asking us to do in our own strength. Verse 18 implies this. It says, as he says, okay, 
Here's what, here's what the old life is. Here's what the new life is. And so verse 18 of chapter 5 says, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you know what be filled with the Spirit literally means? It means what you don't have the ability to do on your own. Now the Spirit comes to empower you. And so we need that Spirit to, to fill us up. And if you've already been filled with the Spirit, then great. Get it again. Get it fresh. You might need that stuff every day. But you be filled with the Spirit because the Spirit allows you to do what you cannot do on your own. This is the reason why the world cannot copy our marriages because they do not have the Spirit living inside of them. They, they, there's no such thing. Hear me. I'll, just, I'll make this claim. Just, there's no such thing as a truly successful marriage outside of marriage that is visited, anointed, and ordained by God. You cannot have a successful marriage and not acknowledge God in the midst of your marriage. It's impossible. Number one, because you don't fulfill the greater context of what your marriage is supposed to be doing. And that's to advertise who Christ is in his relationship to the church. But you don't know what true happiness is either because you don't know what selfless love is. How can you? You don't even know what love is according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So the world cannot mimic our marriage that we have because ours is based on being filled with the Spirit. The second thing is, is that the difficulty of accepting these statements can be found most likely in the distance we have with its author. That we don't like what it says. But the problem is not with our spouse. The problem is with the person who originated the statement. Then our problem may not be in loving our wives, it may be in loving our God. And how can you love your wife? And you can't even love a, a God who has given you every reason to love him. Ladies, the problem may not be in submitting to your husbands. Maybe it's submitting to God. You know, I, I go back and let me, just, let me just say, I, Scott, say, perhaps when we see this problem of loving God is that Adam's desire was to please Eve over God. And that's the reason why he didn't protect her from making that mistake. Maybe Eve's problem was that she desired to respect her, her, she lacked the desire to respect her husband's words than the serpent's words. And so she was deceived. And so what I'm seeing is, is very clearly is that if, if we lack the ability to do these things, there could be two problems. And, and one of them is that we have a problem with the author who spoke these things into our life, or we just lack the spirit to fulfill those things. And so the, rem the remedy is, is simple, right? The first thing you got to do is make sure that your relationship with God is reconciled. That if you've got, some, you've got some beef between you and God, then you need to deal with that. If you have a problem respecting his word, respecting who he is, then you need to go to God first. Can you submit to God? Can you submit to his word? Can we love God? Can we love his word? Can we embody his word? Can we honor him? If we love him, we will obey him, keep his commandments. And the last thing is the band comes back up. Is that our marriage is meant for more than happiness. It's meant for more than happiness. I love this because what I realize as, as when the word begins to say that, that uh, in fact, let me go back and read it real fast. It says, this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so what we see is, is that in Scripture, the Lord is using our marriage to communicate something greater. Greater. Can I tell you that that your, um, your life, your marriage, in fact, has purpose in it. It has purpose in it. Your marriage has more purpose, maybe more, than your own individual life. 
And so don't ever feel like that you, you walk around and you say, oh, Pastor Scott, I, I, don't, I, I don't have any of the five-fold ministries in my life. I'm not an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist, a preacher or a teacher. I can't even lead worship. I can't sing. I can't do none of those things at all. Uh, so I don't know what I'm really accomplishing in life. And can I tell you that you're accomplishing a lot if you have a godly marriage? A lot. When I think about this idea that we struggle with the purpose of our marriage, uh, I think, okay, you know, maybe you don't have any of those, those uh, giftings or abilities or callings. Maybe you've never been to Africa or Asia or Europe. But take courage that Billy Graham's parents weren't either. They didn't do anything. Billy Graham said all his parents did was just love each other and love God. Didn't teach Sunday school class often. Didn't really go out and minister to other people. They, they just demonstrated to their son what it looked like to love God. In fact, here's what he says. My parents were the greatest influence of my life. They were very loving, kind, and generous people. And they taught me to love God and to love others. And they lived out their faith in a way that inspired me. And that's all they did. Just normal folk. Loving God. Loving each other. God gave them a son. Great potential. Can I tell you that William Franklin and Moral Coffee Graham's marriage was, was one that accomplished more than just happiness in their life? It was their marriage that produced a child that preached over 215 million people in his life. His messages were heard by 2.2 billion people plus through radio and TV. Wrote 30 books, numerous articles, essays, which sold millions of copies worldwide. He had a counseling center whose impact reached around the world in the millions. And so what am I saying? You're saying, Pastor, I don't know if my child's going to next Billy Graham. That's not what I'm asking about. I'm not asking uh, for you to produce a child. What I'm asking is, is, is your marriage, is the purpose of your marriage, does it have potential to produce a child like that? Can you produce a child? Because that's what the Word is concerned about. That's what the Lord is concerned about. He says in Malachi 2.15, he says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? In body and spirit, you are his. And what does he want? What does the Lord want? Listen to me today. What does the Lord want for your marriage? This is, this is the key thing. He says godly children from your union. He, he wants godly offspring. If you've yet to have children yet, I, I, I think you need to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't got any children just yet, and we're trying. I want to remind you what you said right here. You said that the reason why you put me together and put a portion of your spirit in my marriage is so that I could have godly offspring. And I need those children so I can give you your glory. And if you got kids, I want to remind you, that's what your marriage is for. That we come together in one flesh so that we might exalt, up, exalt and lift up through our children the glory of God. Can I tell you that, that you only have a certain capacity to glorify God. But if you can take what you can do and you cause now your children to lift up that same amount of glory, you are multiplying the ability to bring him praise.
And can I tell you, that's, that's all that matters. That's all that matters for me. And so this morning, I, I want to I close like this. In fact, Julie, if you'll join me. I want to pray for marriages, and, and I'm going to ask you to come down front. We're going to pray all at once. But here is what I, I'm asking for you. My heart for this church is strong marriages because I want to see some strong children. And I want to see a community that comes here as a refuge looking for answers. And we don't just tell them answers. They look at our lives and say, here's where I need to be. Here's who I I need to disciple me. Point me to the Christ. And so this morning, if you're married and your spouse is here, I'd like for you to join me down front for three reasons. One is that I'm asking the Lord for our marriages to reflect the designer's heart. So that when people look at our marriage, they don't see this relationship between Julie and I. What they really see is that there's some things that don't naturally and normally exist in a marriage. There's some other things. There's some things that speak of him. And so whenever we argue in public, no, we don't do that, right? Whenever we, whenever we do anything, I, w- I want people's eyes, I want their gaze to be fixed on my marriage so that it reflects the heart of Christ. And the second thing is this. I- I'm asking the Lord to shape our marriages, to shape our definition of what love is. Because, because we fight the world and we fight ourselves to what we think love is. But the Lord has a definition for us that he desires for us to follow. And if we follow that, we'll know what fulfillment is. But even greater, we'll know what our purpose is in the larger context of the body of Christ. And the last thing is simply to be that. I want our marriage to be missional. I want to serve a greater purpose than just enjoying the spouse that we lay down with at night. More than just sharing joys and memories and children and laughter and vacations and and all those things. I want our lives, I want our marriages to speak of the faithfulness of Christ. And so if that's you and you want to join me, would you ask your spouse to get up and come down front with me and allow us to pray over each other together? And then we'll be done this morning. Thank you, Father. Oh, Lord, we need this. Oh, Lord, we need you. We need you. We thank you, Lord, this morning. Cultivate our hearts. Cultivate our hearts this morning, Father. If you're still in the pews, would you just lift a hand or say a prayer to us that are up here this morning, Father in heaven? You see, God, these unions that represent your relationship to the church. God, each one of these marriages, God, speak of who you are and your faithfulness, Lord. And I'm praying, God, to a dying and lost world that you would use us, that you would strengthen our marriage, God, that we would reflect the heart of the Father who put us together. Lord, use us, Lord, to reflect those things that we can't even use our mouth to communicate. And then, Father, I pray, God, that in our own marriage, Lord, that whatever definition of love we have, God, if it's 
if it's not right, if it's not your definition, then, Father, I pray you would change Scott Brandon. Pray, God, you would use Julie Brandon, God, to understand, Lord, what this definition is that you have. Speak to all of us, Lord, and help us to align our view of love with your view of love that we might serve one another in our marriage, that we might prioritize their needs over our needs, God, that we might live in selflessness, Lord, and we might live, God, in submission as your word commanded us, Lord. Fill us with your spirit, God, to do the things that are not natural to us. Shape the way, Lord, we see love. Protect our hearts, God, from this world that would cultivate God and cause us to redefine it. And then, Lord, I pray lastly, I pray lastly over us, that I pray that you would use our lives, use our marriages, Lord, to be missional. That is to speak of the love of Christ. That is to speak of the forgiveness of Christ. That is to speak of the submission of Christ. That is to speak of the selflessness of Christ. Lord, let Christ be seen in our marriages, Lord, so that we might fulfill, God, the greater context that you've called our marriages to fill. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me speak to you this morning before we, before we get out of here. Whatever, whatever it is the Lord has brought us together to do, I cannot do, we cannot do without the person next to you. You need your spouse. Not just to look like you got a good marriage when you come to the church. I'm not even worried about that. If you're broken and dysfunctional, come on, let's go. It's the best place to be. I just know this, is that we will not change a city we will not change extended family. We'll not change our, our job places and, and those situations we walk into every day. We'll not change Benton Dent on the first Saturday of the month when people are angry and got a lot of checks to spend. That won't get changed unless this right here is successful. And so I'm asking you to go with a journey, go on a journey with me that the Lord will use us and bless us and we'll learn how to love selflessly. And we'll submit to what Christ has for us. And that we'll be a light and a testimony that this city needs to see. That your, that your loved ones that are lost, that your family who is lost, need to see. And they will see. Amen? Amen. You can go back to your seat. I want to say to the rest of y'all, if you're not married yet, go ahead, babe. If you're not married yet, you say, I don't know what to do, Pastor Scott. Can I tell you? Take notes right now. What do they say? A pound of prevention is worth what? A ton of cure? Absolutely it is. And so if you'll, just, if you'll just listen and engage and hear the heart of the word concerning relationships, you will save yourself tremendously. Amen? Stand with me. You ain't got to sit down just yet. You're just going to go home. It's almost lunchtime. It's almost lunchtime. You sing us out. All right. You got it. Go ahead.